So, back in November, I spoke to you about the sufficiency of God, about how God doesn't need anything from us. Uh, We can't serve God to complete Him. Uh, Then in March, at the baby dedication, we looked at the fatherhood of God, uh, did just a quick summary of His his safety and His joy and His discipline and His love for us as our Father. And so Joe has let me continue on looking at some attributes of God. And uh, this morning we're going to take a look at the wisdom of God. So I think we generally uh, love wisdom or uh, wise people or at least people who appear wise. Um, we uh, People like the little... Proverbs from rock stars and Oprah and Yoda. Um, But as great as do or do not, there is no try, is this morning we'll hopefully see a greater, deeper wisdom than that of George Lucas. So. So, we'll first look that God is indeed wise. Uh, Then we'll define what the wisdom of God is and how it differs from God's knowledge. Uh, and then we'll look at three ways uh, from God's Word of how God displays His wisdom. So, let's pray. Father, uh, we just thank You for this morning. We thank You for the worship time this morning and how exalted You are, Father, how glorious You are. And we just pray that Your Spirit would be with us, illuminate the Scriptures to our hearts, Father. Uh, help me to present You clearly and truthfully and as glorious as You are. We just look forward to what You're going to do here this morning. And uh, just ask again that your spirit be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So, <clears throat> first, why, why is it important to understand the wisdom of God? Uh, why is God's wisdom uh, important as one of His attributes? Um, what I like to do to, to see the importance of one of God's attributes is, is to take that attribute out of God's character. So if we look at God as an all-powerful God, and then we take out His wisdom, that's a very scary picture. If we have an all-powerful being who doesn't act very wisely, He might just play marbles with the planets or turn the sun on and off like my daughter does the light switch. Nighttime, daytime. Anyways. On the other hand, if you picture a God who is all-loving but not wise... At first, you know, you might think that that's not too bad, but in reality, that's that's pretty bad. Uh, a, a person who's just giving and giving and giving, but with no wisdom behind that giving, uh, is like my uncle who gave me an eight-inch hunting knife when I was seven. <clears throat> he just wanted to give me something, but wisdom is needed. Uh, in my preparation for this talk, I came across a quote from a popular spiritual teacher that said, love doesn't need reason, it speaks from the irrational wisdom of the heart. And the first thing I thought of was the abominable snowman on Looney Tunes when he grabs Daffy Duck and he like beats him to pieces trying to love him. I want to love you and hug you and pet you and name you George. Do you know who that is? And Daffy's like destroyed and the snowman's just trying to love him, but there's no wisdom in his loving. So, We can see God's wisdom is incredibly important for uh, who we are and how we relate to Him. So, let's begin. So the wisdom of God is seen throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Job 12.13, 
with God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. Uh, Psalm 147.5, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Isaiah 40.28, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. And those are just a few of the verses from the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus talks about the wisdom of God in Luke 11.49. And when we get to Romans, at the end of Romans, after Paul writing the whole letter in Romans 16.27, he uses one attribute to describe God, the only wise God. And in saying that, he's not saying that there's a bunch of gods, and God's the only wise one, and the rest of them are kind of just off in the corner playing games or something. Uh, There's only one God, we know that from the Bible, and He is infinitely wise. He is the only wise God. Then we get to Revelation, and we hear the song of the angels, which is blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. So, with the Bible's Uh, importance placed on the wisdom of God, uh, we should find out what it is and uh, what it looks like for us. So, a definition of the wisdom of God. God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. That's the wisdom of God. He sees everything in focus at once. He sees the beginning from the end. There's no need to guess with God. And He can work towards those goals in flawless precision. So the wisdom of God is God always chooses the best goals and He always chooses the best means to reach those goals. So often in the Bible we see wisdom and knowledge together in a verse. It will talk about God's wisdom and knowledge. They're kind of like the twin pack in the Bible. And so, uh, we'll just look for a minute at how his wisdom is different from his knowledge and what is meant by his knowledge, uh, and, it, and it actually helps us in our definition of God's wisdom. So, uh, the knowledge of God means that he fully knows everything actual and possible in one simple act. So, God knows everything actual or possible in one simple act. So... First off, he knows all the facts recorded in the world. Every fact on a computer or in a library. He knows everything about every star or planet or galaxy. Whatever's on the far reaches of the universe, he knows everything that's going on there. He knows everything about every molecule and atom and proton and neutron and whatever gets smaller than that. You can ask Gord. Whatever Gord says is smaller, God knows about the smaller things under that. He knows all the facts in the world. And we can kind of picture that. We can kind of picture knowing everything factual, everything actual in the world. Uh, But God's knowledge extends beyond that. Uh, Psalm 139, David says, You discern my thoughts from afar. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. So not even the things that are going on inside your head is outside of God's knowledge. So... That can be a very comforting thing and it can be a very humbling thing for us. Because on the one hand, you know, uh, if you might not be able to put into words what you're feeling or 
someone might uh, question your motives over something, but you can take heart. God knows your thoughts. He knows who you are. And on the other hand, God knows your thoughts. So on top of that, he knows everything actual, he knows everything in your thoughts, and he also knows everything possible. So even things that don't happen, God knows how they would happen. If you want to turn to 1 Samuel, this is pretty neat. 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel 23.10 Then said David, O Lord, the God of Israel, Your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Calah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Calah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Calah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Calah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Calah, they gave, he gave up the expedition. So David's camped out in the city. He knows that Saul's coming. He prays to God, says, is Saul going to come to try to get me? God says, yes. He says, will the men here deliver me into his hand? He said, yes. And so David gets up and leaves, and none of it ever happens. But God knew that it would happen the way that it would happen, but it didn't happen that way because... Anyways. You're with me? You're starting to see how big his knowledge is? It's pretty big. So, and then the, and then the thing that kind of brings them all together is that he knows all of those in one simple act. If you ask God how many blades of grass there were in the world, he wouldn't have to quickly count them. He wouldn't even have to bring it to memory because he hasn't thought of grass in a while. It's just there. He just knows. Everything is there. We have to think about things. There's a process. But he just knows everything at once. In one simple act, he knows everything. So even though his wisdom is different from his knowledge, his knowledge, uh, there's an overlap there. We can't exercise wisdom without knowledge. And so understanding how big God's knowledge is helps us see just how big and how infinite His wisdom is. Because He knows every factor, all the billions and billions and billions of factors for a decision. And so then He can choose the best way possible. And so that's what makes His wisdom uh, so great. We begin to see just how infinite His wisdom is when we start to understand His knowledge. So, A real great verse, one of my favorite verses about the wisdom of God, Romans 11. If you want to turn there, Romans 11, 33. Romans 11, 33. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. I just love 
I love about that verse is the O in 33. To me, I just picture Paul, it's like he's walking up on a big ravine of the wisdom of God, and he's like, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And he goes on to tell us that his knowledge is so great, his wisdom is so great, that no one can know his mind, and no one can be his counselor which is what we do all the time. Why didn't you do it this way? I could have done that a better way. Why didn't you listen to me? I have a bachelor's degree. But God's wisdom is infinite. No one can counsel Him. And then He goes on to tell us at the end, for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. All that basically means is if somehow, someway, someone could come up with a better plan than God did, it would have had to come from God in the first place. Okay? From Him are all things. So, we see God's knowledge is infinite. His wisdom is infinite. It's beyond our understanding. And so let's see a few ways that God shows His wisdom to us. Psalm 104, verses 24 to 25. It's the first time I've had stuff on the screen. Thank you. Thank you. So the first way He shows His wisdom is through His creation. So this beautiful world that we live in is incredibly intricate and complex uh, from animals and plants to our own bodies to the expanse of space. Uh, It all points to a very wise Creator. I live in the country, so when I go out at night, it's actually dark. And there's the stars are just incredible on a clear night. And Jeremiah tells us, by His wisdom... He established the world, and by His understanding, He stretched out the heavens. And when you're little, you just think, what? They're just like each a little dot of light. They're all the same size, but we learn that they're actually you know, millions of times bigger than our sun or whatever, and some of them are actually galaxies of billions of stars. It's, it's uh, incredible, and it all points to His wisdom. He did it all with His wisdom. <clears throat> so Psalm 104 O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. I read when I was getting ready for this that uh, Dalhousie University did a study and they they concluded that we've only discovered 10% of the creatures in the ocean. So David wasn't far off when he said, teams with creatures innumerable. So this is where it really hits me um, with looking at His creation here on earth. Uh, In wisdom, He has made them all. Um, Partly because uh, if any of you have met my son, he's pretty intense right now with animals, and we spend part of every day reading from his animal encyclopedia. Uh, and kids' church workers probably know he is sometimes an animal throughout his day. The other day I had one of those conversations you never thought you'd have where I had to sit Nathaniel down and say, it's okay to do that with Daddy, but you can't hunt your sisters. <clears throat> you just you never thought you would say that, and, and there it is. But he's, he, we got him this book for Christmas, and he's already destroyed it. There's tuck tape on the spine and the pages are falling out. And, and, uh, 
and he, he's always wanting me to read, and he even plans days ahead about what animals we're going to read. And so we spend a lot of time in the animal world. Uh, he loves, loves the Planet Earth series. Uh, if you haven't seen those, we, we have a time of repenting after. And they're, they're fantastic. You have to see them. They really just show God's creation. They come from an evolution you know, perspective, but I just pretend that their nickname for God is the Big Bang, and it works out pretty good. So just a few examples. We won't, we won't stay here long, but a few examples that will help you see uh, just how wisely God has created the world. Okay? There are termites in Africa that build these huge mounds, okay? And the equivalent of us building them would be an 80-story building, okay? There's up to uh, 100,000 termites for every cubic meter inside these mounds. So you can picture that inside these mounds it would get very hot, okay? Even though these mounds are so strong, the Lord has showed the termites how to build them so that the air will blow through. So cool, fresh air blows right through the side of this strong termite mound. At the same time, the cold air going around the outside, the termites have built a center chimney in the middle, which makes a vacuum and sucks the hot air out. So the cold air is blowing in through the side, the hot air is going out the top, which keeps the temperature in the basement perfect for growing a fungus that rots their wood so they can eat. Long before Nogglerhouse.com, Sorry, Tim. Long before God made the termites build this mound with air exchange. Another example. This one this one's, will even blow your mind more. Uh, migratory birds, okay? They fly thousands of miles each year over the vast featureless expanse of the ocean and they land right at their small island every year, okay? So, not only that, the Lord has told each bird, according to its shape and size, what its optimal speed is for traveling so that it doesn't burn up its fuel before it gets there, okay? And it's pretty precise. It's said there once that the Bud Garriger bird is 41.6 kilometers an hour, and it knows to fly at that speed. If it flew slower, it would burn up its fuel and fall in the ocean. If it flew faster, it would get too much wind resistance, burn up its fuel, and fall in the ocean. On top of that, each bird has a feedback system that constantly causes it to to bring its course back on direction so the wind doesn't blow it off and it burn up too much fuel and fall in the ocean. And on top of that, these migratory, migratory birds possess the ability to know where they are and where their home is in the world at all times. They've taken a bird off the coast of Wales on an island. They've put it in a plane, flown it to Boston. When they let it out, it flies right back to Wales. It made a 12-day, 12-hour, 31-minute trip, 5,000 kilometers nonstop back to Wales. They always know where they are in the world in relation to their home, and they go there. 
It's almost as if they are created by an infinitely wise creator. And we could go on and on all morning, but we have other points to make. But the Lord has made beavers with transparent eyelids so it can see underwater. The peregrine falcon, which dives 300 kilometers an hour straight down, the Lord has made baffles in its nostrils so the air doesn't go in and explode its lungs. It's pretty cool. Anyways, if my son was here, he'd be jumping. And <clears throat> So we're dealing with the God who is not just a beautiful creator, but he's an infinitely wise creator. Uh, even with the effects of sin on the natural world, we should be amazed at just how intricate and harmonious God's creation is even down to the smallest detail, they've all been planned out. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works, and wisdom you have made them all. So, but to know the fullest extent of God's wisdom, creation is insufficient. His wisdom extends way beyond beavers and birds. And that brings us to our second point God's wisdom as displayed in our salvation. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians. I'll first go to Ephesians. How about Ephesians 1? So the wisdom of God is beautifully seen in our salvation. How He has redeemed His people is really where His wisdom is on full display. When we read Romans 11, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God, it's important to note that for 11 chapters, he had just been breaking down God's plan for salvation. That's what Paul had been living in. He had been living in those 11 chapters of how God saved his people, and then it just rises up in him, and he shouts out, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of God. So Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 4 And this is where we'll begin to see uh, what makes God's plan of salvation so wise. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So the, the thing to note there is that He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God's plan for salvation is well planned. Okay? God in His wisdom knew Jesus was going to die on the cross and He had it well planned. Before Genesis 1, God had it well planned out. Jesus dying on the cross was not plan B. God didn't look down at Adam and Eve biting the fruit and say, oh man, now what are we going to do? You're up, buddy. He didn't do that. He had it well planned. Well before Genesis 1, God knew Genesis 3 would happen and He had it planned out in His wisdom. So, now flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So it was well planned before the foundation of the earth. He had this planned out of Jesus coming to earth to die on the cross for us. Your salvation was planned before in the beginning. And so we'll start at 18. And this is where we just start to get the full picture 
of God's wisdom in our salvation. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So how is he going to do that? God's saying, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. So here it comes. Where is the one who was wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. What that saying is God wisely rejects the possibility of your salvation through wisdom. You can't be saved through your intellect, through your knowledge, through philosophy, any of that. Your education degree doesn't save you. Wisdom doesn't save you. Not that they're bad things. Uh, They're good. We should study. We should learn. But you don't get salvation through wisdom. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So, the thing to note there is that it pleases God to do this. He gets joy out of this plan of salvation that he has laid out. And it says that through the folly of what we preach, that's folly from the world's point of view. Okay, The world sees this as folly. They don't understand it. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. So the Jews were always looking for a sign They always wanted Jesus to do a miracle. When He was on the cross, they said, bring yourself down if you're the Son of God. Bring yourself down from the cross and save yourself if you're the Son of God. They were always looking for a demonstration of power. They would Nothing short of Jesus jumping off the cross and wiping out all the Romans would have been sufficient for them. That's what they wanted. And then He says, but the Greeks seek wisdom. They were big into the philosophers and all that. They were the the cultured people. So the Jews look for power and the Greeks look for wisdom. So the point being, some people get their kicks out of power and some people get their kicks out of wisdom. We like demonstrations of power and wisdom and we look for those and we boast in those either in ourselves or in people we associate with, things around us. That might be your uh, university. It might be your uh, work that you do, it might be your hockey team, it might be anything, but we're made to boast in something, and oftentimes we settle for lesser examples of power and wisdom. But, when he goes on, verse uh, 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So Paul's saying you're looking for examples of power and wisdom. They meet their fullest extent. The fullest example of power and the fullest example of wisdom is seen in Jesus. There's no salvation in power and wisdom, but in their fullest picture in Jesus Christ, there is. So verse 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So God, in His most uh, foolish-looking way 
of a naked, bloody Jesus hanging on the cross, that's where he was most wise. And in his weakest looking way, with his son on the cross, that's where he's most powerful. So, if God could be foolish, as foolish as he could be, it would be wiser than all the wisdom of man put together. So, you might ask why. Why would God choose a plan of salvation that looks foolish uh, to the world? Uh, Why do it this way? That's a good question to ask, so you can go ahead and ask it. Verse 26. Here's the answer. This is why God chose to do it this way. Why He chose to save men in a foolish looking way. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. So God saves us through His Son dying on the cross. He saves us in such a way to explode any notion you might have of boasting in yourself. Your salvation doesn't come from you. It comes only from Jesus. And this is God's ultimate goal. It's the perfect way to achieve what He wanted to accomplish, which is our humility and His glory. And this is how He gets it done. Through Jesus' death, on the cross. <clears throat> I remember as a kid, as a small kid, thinking like when I was told the story of Jesus on the cross dying, I'm just like, that seems like a weird way to do that. Couldn't there have been a better way that God could do this? That God could provide salvation? But there's not a better way. You could not have thought of a better way because there isn't. Because God is infinitely wise. <clears throat> So it's meant to humble us and cause us to live our whole life boasting only in Jesus. We don't boast in our wisdom, in our money, in our talents, in our families, in our church, in our knowledge of the Bible. Uh, We don't boast in anything, but because of the way God saves us, we can only boast in Jesus. It's the only option that He has left open. And not because He hates us, but because He hates pride. He hates pride and he loves glory for himself. And so this plan that he's formed is so infinitely wise that it perfectly accomplishes those two things, our humility and his glory. He knows that pride leads to destruction and so he wisely and lovingly blocks that way off by saving us in this way, by saving us through the death of His Son. Verse 30, He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast 
in the Lord. We get salvation and He gets all the glory. It's a perfect example of God's wisdom uh, in Him. The last way is God showing His wisdom through the church. If you want to turn to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, verse 8. We've seen God's wisdom in how He's created this world. We've seen God's wisdom in the plan of salvation that He's formed before He even created the world. And then it all comes together here with God's wisdom as seen in the church. Ephesians 3, starting at verse 8. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So Paul tells us that the purpose of the church is to portray the wisdom of God. The church is a showcase of God's wisdom. God's preparation and salvation and His ingathering of peoples from all nations is meant to display His infinite wisdom. And the the real kicker in that verse is at the end where it says, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. We're not just a showcase of God's wisdom to the world. We're a showcase of God's wisdom to the angels. It's big. It's a big thing. <clears throat> the church functions, functions to show angels the wisdom of God. Angels in heaven Look at the church. They see a people from all walks of life, all nations, Jews, Gentiles, lives changed, humbly worshiping God, serving together, boasting only in Christ, and they marvel at the wisdom of God. And the demons as well look down at the church and see the wisdom by which they were defeated. Amen? Amen. Just like Joe said last week when he helped us see that it's bigger than just what we see. There's a lot going on. There's spiritual warfares going on. The church is showing wisdom to angels. This church is an example of the wisdom of God to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. And there's bigger things at work than what we can just see in this room. And most of us live our lives with far too little awareness of what we're actually involved in. We go day to day and seldom feel the impact of the magnitude of what we're caught up in by being part of the church of Jesus Christ. It's not just a fun gathering on Sunday morning. It's not just a good Christian thing to do. It's not just something that we go to on special holidays. It's not just something that we just come to out of ritual We're involved in something very big. And we don't take enough time to think about how our jobs, our home life, what we do in our spare time, our church involvement, how each of these fits into the awesome significance 
of the church. How each of these fits into us being a display case of the wisdom of God. So how do we do this then? How does the church show not only the world, but the powers in heavenly places what the wisdom of God is? And we show the manifold wisdom of God by being the church that Jesus died to create and nothing less. We show the angels in heaven the wisdom of God when we are the church that Jesus died to create and nothing less. When we strive to maintain unity, the one body that the Bible speaks of, we are showing the angels that God was wise in sending His Son to die. And if you go back to 1 Corinthians and the verse we read, we started at 18, but if you go back before that into 10, you see that the problem in the church was divisions. He says, uh, uh, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, that, but that you might be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And so the Corinthians wrote to Paul and they said, we've got divisions in the church. And Paul writes back and gives them an explanation of the wisdom of God. It's probably not the first thing that we'd think of in response. But that's what he goes for. Paul wrote back to them about the wisdom of God. And if we allow divisions and complaining and pride and bitterness and gossiping in the church, we send out the message, God was not wise, He was foolish in this decision. So this should change how we view church. How we worship God this morning is a reflection to angels on how wise God is. How I preach this morning is a reflection to angels on how wise God is. And we want to represent His wisdom well. So it should cause us to be even more excited about the work we're doing here. It should cause us to come Sunday morning with anticipation and excitement for what God's going to do. It should cause us to come humbly to tag as we bring our prayers before Him. It should cause us to have all the more love and mercy and compassion with the street level ministry. It should cause us in all areas, in our excitement and hope and faith and church planning, It should increase everything. How we handle our money, our time. We're the light of the world, yes, but we're so much more than just the light of the world. We're not just a collection of programs to meet our needs and and a hangout time to drink coffee and talk. It's good to do that stuff, but we are a display case of the wisdom of God. So God's wisdom is seen all around us. We see it in how intricately He's created this world, how beautiful it is. We see it in our own lives, in the awesome way that He has wisely planned our salvation from before the foundation of the world, and done it in such a way that we can't boast in anything but Him. He wisely just directs all the glory to Himself. And we see it. We see His wisdom in the gathering of His church from all peoples. 
and as we realize just how deep the riches of his wisdom are, is we should rise up just like Paul and the angels, and we should be worshiping him all the more intensely as we get a picture of just how glorious God is. It should also cause us to trust him more firmly. These, the, the words that we got this morning were just great, and, and they fit right in with the message that you know you might be going through some rough times, it might be difficult, but put your faith in the fact that you are the child of an infinitely wise Father who makes no mistakes. He makes no mistakes. So whatever you're going through, you might have uh, had a father who made lots of mistakes, but you are a child of a father who is infinitely wise. And as you understand his infinite wisdom, it should help you to trust him more firmly in your life. And the last thing, it should help us to obey him more joyfully as we know he is working wisely in our lives to make us more like His Son each day. He is working wisely in your life as you obey Him to bring you more into the image of His Son each day. And in doing this, and in worshiping Him more intensely, and in trusting Him more solidly, and obeying Him more joyfully because we're knowing that He is infinitely wise, He is not making a mistake, His decisions are perfect. He has the best goals for us and He has the best means for us to reach those goals. As we do that, we just send out the the message, God is infinitely wise. We send it out to the world. We send it out to the angels. Our God is infinitely wise. Amen.